Welcome to the Marketing and Other Markets podcast with me, Matt Muscat. This is a podcast for real estate industry professionals who are doers. Each episode will feature an interview with a top producer or someone who's doing things differently in an exciting way. For those who already know me or have read my books and blogs, my brand of marketing is tangible and repeatable because we don't all need to reinvent the wheel. In every episode, my promise to you is that you will leave with at least one tangible idea that you can execute on today. All right, everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Today, we have a really exciting guest. We're with Yvette Hollandowner out of the Chicago, Illinois area. Yvette has been an agent in serving serving Chicago and the suburbs for over 20 years, and she's absolutely killing it. Yvette, welcome to the show today. Hi, how are you? Good morning. <laughs> morning, and I know you're an hour behind us, so you're, you're still earlier in the day uh, than we are. Yeah. But I, you know, I was referred to you by my good friend Andre, who lives in the lives in the area too, and he raved about you and working with him and his wife working with you um, on the purchase of their home, and kind of walked me through some of your numbers, walked me through your story, and I thought you'd be a great a great fit for the show because I think what you're doing is replicable, and the things the things and the ways that you've built your business are things that other people out there can do as well when it comes to real estate and lending. So I just want to get started. Can you walk us through how you how you came to be a, a realtor in the Chicago area? I know about twenty years ago. Well, I was living downtown. I our realtor helped us buy a condo in the high rise uh, right in Lincoln Park. I don't know if you know the area, but that's where we were living when our realtor contacted me because my my schedule for my other job I was a sales rep for an Italian distributor. So my schedule for them was pretty easy. I'll leave the house by 5 and be home by 12, between 12 and 2. And I was off on Fridays and the whole weekend. So he was like, well, you have a lot of time in your hands. You want to get, you know, you want to help me and you want to get your license and become my assistant. And I never thought about doing real estate before, but, you know, I did have a lot of time in my hands. So I'm like, sure, I'll, I'll doesn't hard to try. So he paid for my license. I was a personal license assistant for him. He was a top producer back in the day, and uh, I started helping him, and I was with him for two years. And for some reason, he got derailed on what he was doing, and I felt like it was time for me to make it on my own. So I quit my other job, and I started full-time with real estate after two years of being with him as a personal assistant. And I learned a lot with him, so he helped me a lot. I love that. I mean, I think you really just gave everybody two really important messages and things to remember. The first one is I know a lot of us are always looking to hire, looking to grow our teams. And oftentimes the best place to look are the people that are your clients. I mean, this guy worked with you and saw in you that you were a hard worker, that you you might have a little bit of extra time. And he plucked you out of a successful career into real estate. And I know for all the people out there that are constantly you know, looking for resumes and on, on Indeed and Craigslist and all these things, start by looking at your past clients and the current people that you're working for, because oftentimes they're the best people um, to, to join your team. And then the second thing I you agree. mentioned is that partnering with the top producer kind of got you off to a great start. I mean, when people get first get into real estate, that's always the big question, right? Lending is the same way. It's do I do this on my own or do I partner with someone else and work for someone else and learn the ropes? And I think a lot of it depends on if you already have a sphere of influence and if you already know what you're doing real estate wise. But it worked out really well for you because you grew from there to where you are now. And kind of walk us through so everyone out there can understand uh, how many units did you and your partner do uh, in 2020 and how much volume did that end up being? 
for 2020, I believe we did about 70 or 75 units. You know, my partner and I don't really count uh, the units that we do. Sometimes, like the first year that we were together, we did 96 units, and we didn't even know that we were doing those numbers. We were just working. You know, we just kept on, we just kept doing our thing, and then next thing we know, they're flying us to Vegas from Keller Williams to get an award because we were the number one team in the Midwest, and, and we didn't know. So we don't really count that much on, on um, how many units, it's, you know, how many people can we help. And we don't even count that. We just keep going, you know. So And, and we did about 75 units, I believe, 70 or 75 units for 2020. And our volume that I know, we did 23 million. That, that's amazing. Those are seriously awesome numbers. And just so everyone out there knows, what's like the average purchase price um, in your in your market? Uh, the average purchase price here in the month is about three three fifty. Three fifty, okay, not too far off from where we are. I think where I am, it's about two two seventy five right now. So mm-hmm. all those seventy units or so, where does that business come from? I, I know when we when we talked before before the podcast, you kind of walked me through. It, it's not coming from the same place now exactly as it was a couple years ago. And I know everyone out there would would love to hear kind of how that tr- how that transitioned. So could you walk us through that? Sure. Uh, well, when we started in uh, 2015, when I partnered up with uh, Frank Lardino, that's my partner, we we were hitting heavy with Zillow and Realtor.com. We had both uh, accounts, and we were getting lots of leads from them. And uh, it's for some reason or the way that we've been doing things in the last couple of years. When we started with them, it, most of our business was coming from those two sites, Zillow and Realtor.com. It was probably a 70-30 um, on where the, the business was coming. 70% from Zillow and Realtor.com and the other 30% from past clients and referrals. And we, we after we went to a, uh, an event uh, for the core, we, we decided that we wanted to hit more our past clients with you know letters and things like that just keep in touch, uh, more in touch with them than we were doing before. So now for these two last years, it's been growing to 70-30 the opposite way. 70-30 is mostly referrals, and 30% of our business is coming still from solo. We don't do realtor.com because they stopped sending leads, but we still do solo. And uh, I think we're probably at the point where we might not need it anymore with, with my we're talking about canceling because I think we're, our referral machine is working pretty good right now. I love that. And I think it's that's a great point for everyone out there to understand. I mean, Zillow and buying leads, it's not a bad thing. However, it really depends on what type of sphere of influence you have and what type of referral network you have. I mean, the goal with any of these sites is to simply build up a bigger database. But once you have that database... And you can effectively work it with the personal type, types of touches, events, mailers, phone calls, and other types of interactions. The need for spending money on those things goes down every year. So I think for it's a challenge for everyone out there. I mean, if you're spending a lot of money on online leads and advertising, look at the quality of the business that you have. Which types of clients do you enjoy working with the most? And, where, and which type of business costs you the least and do you have the most fun with? And I think almost nine yeah. times out of 10, right? Like you have fun working with people a second and third time. I mean, those are those are relationships that you'll have for life. So challenge out there for everyone to think about how you can reduce some of your online ad spend cost while increasing um, your sphere of influence business, just like Yvette has. Yeah. 
So tell me, you know, you, you mentioned you went to you went to one of the core events. I'm super familiar with the core for everyone else out there who might not be. It's a coaching program for mortgage lenders and real estate agents. Uh, they, they do an awesome job. It's very sphere sphere heavy. What types of things are you are you doing to your past clients? Are you mailing them phone calls, gifts? I mean, what is what is your past client program look like? Well, there is four things that we do that it has helped us a lot. Uh, two letters a month. We do a letter of the heart. That's how they call it, letter of the heart once a month. And we do a success letter. That's how we call it, success letter. So the letter of the heart is just um, personal stuff that happens in my life. And I don't mention, and we never mention anything about business. We never ask for referrals. It's just what's going on in my life and uh what what happened in the last two weeks, what I'm going through right now, and what's in the future. So that's kind of like what we put in the letter of the heart. And then we ask them, how's your life? You know, I would love to hear from you. And we do this in a handwritten letter. Well, it looks like a handwritten that. letter because we, we handwrite it and then we make copies and then we send them and they look like they were handwritten. So we do that once a month, and then we do the success letter once a month, letting them know how our business was in the last month. Uh, like when we get an award, we, we let them know we got an award, and then we ask them at the end, you know, we couldn't do this without you and your referrals. Uh, please, please keep us in mind. We do ask for a referral at the end. So we do we send those twice a, uh, a month, one and one, and then... We also send a quarterly gift to our A clients, the ones that are our referrals. They send more referrals. We have them in a list, a special list, where we send them a quarterly gift depending on the, the season, uh, spring, uh, summer, fall, and for winter time. And then we also do events throughout the year. Uh, every other month, we do it in different places. Like we, we, we hit heavy three areas. And in those three areas, we invite people to have dinner with us. And we do them by groups that are specific, that we think they're going to hit it off between them. So we have a dinner with maybe 10 to 15 people. And then so they can interact within each other. We can have more time with them. And we also do a huge picnic at the end of the summer. And we invite everybody to that one. All the, the whole family is invited. The dinners are more like couple dinners or just single people. But... The, the picnic is just for the whole family. We get inflatables. We get toys for the kids. We make little bags for the kids to take with them, and uh, and we cook ourselves the whole the whole thing. It's it's on us. So that's how that's what we do. That it's been working really good. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, there is so much you just said there that I think we need to unpack and and really focus in on. You know, the first thing I heard is, number one, you guys cook yourself, which I, I absolutely hope that the next time in Chicago I can come to one of your events and eat because it sounds it sounds great. But also, I mean, <laughs> agents out there need to realize, and lenders as well, doing client events doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg, right? I mean, sure, you watch HGTV and you see that every agent in California is taking taking their clients out to the most expensive restaurants, bars, and clubs in town. And that, that it doesn't have to be that way. I think a lot of right. our clients appreciate that family feel of you guys getting down in the trenches and cooking them, cooking them dinner or picnic. I mean, I think that's amazing. The second thing you mentioned that, that, that I think is huge is that you do two types of events, right? You do your picnic, which is more family-oriented. People can bring their kids, their families, et cetera. But you also do these dinners for couples 
and people that aren't bringing their children to that. Um, I, I think it's really important when you're doing an event to do two types of events because you're going to attract a different type of client to a family event as you will to a couple event. Now, sure, my wife and I might come to, to both, right? Like one without the kids and one with. But when you, when you do two separate types, you ensure that you have something for everybody. So for anyone out there that's exactly. doing events, don't just do a bar night and don't just do the family picnic. Try to, try to vary it up and do something, do a couple different types of events for the different types of clients you have and for the different kind of life, life cycles that they're in. The next thing you mentioned that I love is that when you do those couple date dinners, um, you're specifically handpicking people to go to each one that you think will get along with each other because the event isn't just about you. Like you're the one throwing it, you're the one paying for it, but you can only talk to one person at a time, maybe two people. So in the, in the, I know when we spoke earlier, you mentioned that one of the biggest success points for these events is that you're hooking people up with each other that can then talk, they can network, they can make friends. And it, there, there's a lot more value for the clients there. Than, than at other types of events where, you know, random people show up and there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. So, you know, for people out there that are looking for a more effective way to do a small event, make sure you're being thoughtful with the people that you invite and how are they going to add value to each other. Right. Um, the other thing you mentioned is that when you're doing, that I love, is that when you're doing your mailings, the, the mailings that are the letters from the heart, you know, you don't, you don't mention real estate and you're not talking about, it's not a sales pitch. And I think that's really important because number one, you're putting a piece of marketing out there that none of your, none of your colleagues or competitors can copy, right? Like, you know, so many, so many professionals out there send out the same exact mailer. I mean, I think it's a, you know, with so many of these real estate brokerages and lenders being nationwide, I mean, Keller Williams, Remax and all these other places, they give you guys great content but if everybody uses the same great content, we all look the same. So if you're looking for a way to stand out, simply send out non-real estate stuff that's about your personal life. I mean, no one can copy that. No one has the same the same monthly existence as you. Um, what kind of what kind of feedback do you get from clients when you send that that really heartfelt stuff? We actually get text, or you know, my part is a little better with the writing than I am. I I struggle doing that letter because it's it's just I don't know but we usually do get one or two people you know taking a picture of the letter and saying I really enjoyed your letter this month it's, it's wonderful and they give us something that happened to them in the same situation what whatever we wrote on the letter so people actually looking forward to those letters now every month yeah and you're able to re- you're able to relate to them and I mean people need a reason to remember that you exist, number one, but then they also need to know that you're good, which is why you follow up with the, uh, with the track record of success letter that show, that reminds them not only are you similar to them, but this is why they should use you because you're a successful agent. Here's what you guys have done recently. Um, so I think th- those are absolutely huge. Another thing when we were speaking on the phone earlier that you mentioned that I think is really cool is about how you do things a little bit differently than a lot of agents out there. Instead of simply uh, putting their clients on a portal so that they get, you know, homes for sale in Lamont every day, it updates them on homes that are in their filter. You're not just subscribing people to automated emails. You're going a little bit above and beyond. Can you walk us through how you're doing that to add a little bit of extra value for your clients? 
So I, I explain my clients is from the beginning. You know, when the, when I'm working with buyers, I don't I don't put them like you said in an automatic search. Uh, I put the search. I put my name on the search and my email, so I get the search in the morning. Every morning from like nine o'clock until eleven o'clock, I go to if you know depending on how many clients do I have on my search, but usually nine to 11, I look through all the searches and make sure that whatever I'm sending my client, it's specific to them because sometimes you are going to get the three-bedroom, one-bedroom house that they're looking for, but you know it's not going to be a good for, good fit for them after you already, you have already gone out with them once I get more specific on what their likes are and what they don't like because I ask questions when we're looking at homes the first time I'm getting feedback on what is it that we're looking for. So once I get the search going on my name, then I can scrub up those those listings and send them actually what I think is going to be something more specific for them, not just whatever just came on the market. Right. And what I love about that from a couple different perspectives is, number one, you're positioning your, yourself as the expert. You know, people are coming to you for real estate help and you're doing more for them than the internet could do for them on their own, right? I mean, if an agent is doing nothing but putting someone on an automated portal, they're really doing nothing extra than the client could do for themselves on Zillow or on some other website. So to listen to them and be an active listener and to then let them know what your thoughts are, that's a whole bunch of added value. And secondly, you're showing them constant work, right? Like if they're getting an email from you every day, every other day, whenever the, the right house pops up, they know that you're constantly working and looking out for them. And that reminder is one more touch point that you have with them in that process, which I think a lot of people take for granted out there. And then finally, the fact that you do the same activity every single day from 9 to 11 a.m., that's a time block. I mean, that's what every great coaching program out there says that salespeople have to do. You have to have replicable activities that produce results that you do at the same time every day. I think so many salespeople are terrible at adding structure to their business and so looking for things just like this that you can do every day, um, it adds a lot of value over time. Um, and I know, I know we're starting to kind of run towards the end of our podcast and we respect everyone's time, but a couple other things you mentioned that were kind of cool in regards to social media. I looked at your Instagram, uh, I connected with you on there, and I've noticed that you post a lot of really cool pictures of things that you see at showings. Um, and I know most agents all agree that they need to use social media, but the issue is that they don't know what to post. Yet we're all out at showings and working with clients all the time and there's constant stimulus. So I guess how what's your strategy with social media and how do you figure out what you're gonna what you're gonna post? Well I we usually I usually and my partner when we are out doing showings or we have an inspection or a final walkthrough, you know, we're walking through the house and showing people what is it that they're what do we look when we're looking with buyers, you know, kind of giving them tips and things to see when they're looking at a house because being on the market and, you know, selling homes for so many years, I, I like to learn every time we have an inspection, I learn something new from the inspector and what to look for in a house. So when I'm out and doing those things, I show people, you know, like this is what you have to look for when you're looking for a house. And I take pictures of whatever is it that day. If I see there is something wrong with the foundation, you know, take a picture of that and put it on social media and say this is, you know, something like this can affect you or can be costly in the long run, you know, if you're running in a situation like this. So just giving them tips throughout the, you know, what we're showing 
the homes of La Casa when we're doing an inspection, I think it helps. And we get a lot of people responding or asking questions on, you know, give, give me more of, you know, what should I know about when I'm looking for a house or can you help me? So I love that. it just I mean, brings more interaction. It's, and it's also really educational, right? I mean, it's another way to add value for, for the people that follow you on social media. It's not just showing them new houses that are on the internet that they could find on Zillow. It's showing them specific examples that they can learn from. And I think the other piece right. to think about with that is like, the people that follow you on social media aren't just potential new clients. They're also your past clients and your friends and your family and people that love you. So to be able to post great content of what to look for and what to watch out for um, that could actually help your current homeowners is just as valuable than helping people that could be your clients and could choose to work with you. Right. Okay. Finally, uh, and the, one of the last things I wanted to cover is you mentioned that no matter what, your partner or you attend every single inspection, uh, and you have for, for the entire time that you've been in your business. Walk me through why you do that and what you think that, what kind of added value you think that gives to yourself and, and to your clients. Well, for myself, like I say, it's always something new to learn because you don't want to get your clients into a house that's got, uh, you know, that you could, you could make them not have that inspection and not waste their time on having the contract on and, and pay for the inspection and everything else. So you're looking for things that are going to be problematic for the buyers. And I always like to learn more about the houses. I mean, how can you sell something that you don't know anything about it? And that's what makes people's um, agents be different. You're not just a door opener, you know, that's, and, and most, a lot of agents are out there are, they just open the door and they're trying and they're hoping to get the sale on the house. We're not just that. We, we want to add that value of how much do you know about the, the product that you're selling? Because it is the product, you know, you, you want to make sure that it's in good condition. And if, the, if it is in good condition and it goes, the sale goes to perfect, then they're going to remember that you are looking out for me and, and my future is not just the sale. Mm-hmm. And for the clients, you know, it, it just, they, they trust you more when you're looking out for them from the beginning. And they can see the difference. I have here so many times from people that I make new, they had worked with somebody else. They're like, my other agent never pointed these things out to me. And they're like, it's, it's something that they should know. And by the time that we're done looking at homes and they have the house in their contract, they're like, I learned so much about the house because of everything that you were pointing out throughout the other homes that we looked at. I am so grateful. And sometimes they will even start pointing things at me that I have already, you know, that we had already seen at another house. So it's nice to see that they're learning too, and that helps them make a better decision when they're picking a house. Well, and I love that, especially because, you know, you're, there's so many ways to add value in the real estate process, but to, to really isolate in on the ones that give people the most education on, on, on real estate and on the houses that they're buying. I mean, a house is oftentimes, you know, someone's biggest asset. So to give them more information on protecting that asset or on, you know, how, how the inner workings of it are, um, I think it's unbelievable. It's a huge opportunity and isn't one that, that we should waste. Well, Yvette, I really appreciate your time today. I think everyone out there learned a ton of stuff, ideas on how they can grow or or get to the level that they want. So um, thanks for joining us on the Marketing and Other Markets podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoy myself talking to you. All right. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. The Marketing in Other Markets podcast is proudly supported by Neighborhood Loans and Treadstone Funding. Visit them online to see a new type of culture and energy in home lending. For more actionable real estate marketing tips and tricks, check out my book, The Tangible Action Guide for Real Estate Marketing, available on Amazon. Interested in being on the show? Reach out to us via Instagram at mattmusket88. See you next time.